Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access to higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. We have reached our cruising altitude. It's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith. I want to thank you for joining me today. This week I dive into only one headline before the lightning round because I want to spend a little extra time on it. It dives into a religious controversy in my own backyard, showcasing the nuance that can be found within a church when you push past those who advocate hate more than love. A mighty controversy is this Lutheran catechism. I'm a member of the church in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, also known as the LCMS, and Lutherans aren't ones to make a lot of waves. I often find this a little humorous given that our namesake hails from Martin Luther, a man known best for nailing his 95 theses to the doors of the Castle Church of Wittenberg, helping launch the Protestant Reformation. He was loud, energetic, and dare I say it, a little bit progressive for his time. In fact, he had a great letter on how Christians should act during a plague, for example, a letter that I personally referenced a number of times during COVID. It supports a lot of the mitigation efforts that many of my fellow Christians balked at. Martin Luther did not suffer fools. I could go on, of course, but this isn't a history podcast. Recently, the LCMS became embroiled in a controversy, specifically over a recent publication of Luther's Large Catechism with annotations and contemporary applications containing the unaltered text of Luther's Large Catechism, a core Lutheran doctrinal statement, with 80 essays applying Luther's ideas in modern society. The book is over 700 pages long. Now, Concordia Publishing House released the work in mid-January, but two weeks ago, LCMS President Matthew Harrison announced that he had asked the denominational publisher to stop distribution so they could evaluate the comments and critiques received and revisit our doctrinal processes. And those critiques were, well, concerns that some of the essays, which are not Lutheran doctrine, mishandled current issues like racial justice, human sexuality, and gun rights. Now, I first became aware of this controversy in an excellent article by Lutherans for Racial Justice. It'll be linked in the show notes. The article sets up the players nicely revealing a very loud minority of Christian nationalists within our group. They allege concerns over woke language and, quote, a disturbing amount of public leftism in the essays. So consider the essay by Reverend Dr. Joel Bierman of Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, on Martin Luther's explanation of the Fifth Commandment, where he says, quote, Lethal force, Luther consistently taught, is rightly used only by one placed in the office of authority in the state. It is never exercised for the sake of self, but always and only for the sake of the neighbor. Now, critics fearing for their gun rights asserted that this essay abandons politically conservative Lutherans by denying that the Bible endorses the Second Amendment. Another essay by Reverend Warren L. Malig Lattimore drew fire not due to its content applying Luther's words and scripture's teachings to racism, but one single footnote to the essay, clarifying a reference to recent events as being the deaths of a number of unarmed black citizens at the hands of white individuals or police officers sparked widespread protests and turmoil in recent years, and especially in 2020. Many churches sought ways to promote racial justice and healing. Now, those who were critical of that footnote were trying to make the case that it was mischaracterizing the protests following George Floyd's death. 
And also, beyond the content of the essays, critical voices have also questioned the legitimacy of several authors, namely due to their gender, because at least four of the contributors are women, or their LCMS pedigree, because two contributors were formerly members of the ELCA, a far more progressive Lutheran denomination. Now, there's definitely a lot more to this story, like the fact that the publication is now resumed and those far-right voices have not won the day. And I would urge you to check out the two articles linked in the show notes for further embellishment. But why is this important? Beyond the fact that, obviously, this hits home for me and, well, it is my podcast, beyond that, it sparked a very real conversation with fellow parishioners, namely some of our younger ones in our church. I was relieved to see them essentially roll their eyes at the voices stemming from the far right, and one member even went as far as to say he saw it as evidence that there is a troubling core of LCMS members that he feels adheres too much to Christian nationalism rather than scripture. I have to say I agree. I'm not going to go on to say my denomination plans to embrace some of the more progressive leanings that I personally have politically and morally anytime soon, but it did reveal to me that there are plenty of members who don't embrace the troubling far-right hatred we see so evident when Christianity enters the conversation. I love my church, warts and all, just like I love Missouri. And just like with Missouri, I don't plan to stop suggesting change to how we approach things like abortion or my church's views on homosexuality and beyond. But I also know that change can be slow. Not sure if I'll ever see a moment quite like Martin Luther nailing his theses to a door, but we can still have a conversation. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talking Politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts most Tuesdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports, like The Delta with Nicholas and Christina Linke, and High Country, Sean Diller's Western Political Updates. On Thursdays, tune in for Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the last call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. In Montana, a bill in the state legislature seeks to regulate science curriculum in public schools, and it got its first hearing Monday. The legislation sponsor said by banning scientific theories, the policy aims to prevent kids from being taught things that aren't true. In this bill, freshman Republican Senator Daniel Emmerich is trying to cash in on that old chestnut of not understanding or purposefully miscontruing what is meant by a scientific theory. In common parlance, the word theory is often used to refer to something that is rather speculative. Not so much in the scientific community, though, Mr. Senator. Or maybe we should just use high school sophomore Mia Taylor's words to do the job, as she rightly said to the committee, If we remove scientific theory from science curriculums, what can be taught will be limited, and it's the school's job to educate its students. In Arizona, recent findings are the latest blow to a program that Republicans have touted as a model for school choice that has been replicated nationwide. Arizona parents have made fraudulent purchases and misspent more than $700,000 in public money allocated by the state's school voucher-style program. Hell, it's bad enough having public dollars go to private institutions, but hey, get ready, you lucky heartlanders. This stunning lack of oversight could be headed to a state near you. 
And this week in Super Bowl 57 is the first National Football League championship to be played in a state with legalized sports betting. Fans inside State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, will be able to place mobile phone bets during the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. Legalized sports betting is also available in the Eagles' home state of Pennsylvania, but... It is not available in the Chiefs' home state of Missouri. Yes, Senator Hawley, the Kansas City Chiefs are a Missouri team. Missouri legislators have tried in the past to legalize sports betting, but are a little tied up at the moment trying to make the Bible the official text of public schools, for example, or making sure trans persons are criminals and that women die in childbirth. Honestly, folks, there are just only so many hours in the day. In Kansas, Lenexa, Kansas is putting up more money in 2023 for its annual grant program designed to help residents in older homes maintain their properties. To encourage homeowners who have older homes in the community to make upgrades or repairs to their homes, they're offering things like 50% matching grants available to homeowners whose homes are valued at $292,700 or less by the county appraiser and were built before 1977. In other Kansas housing news, the Kansas Housing Resource Corporation, the state's primary housing agency, is offering down payment assistance that could help first-time homeowners affordably purchase and own a home. Called the First-Time Homebuyer Program, the program aims to address one of the biggest hurdles standing in the way of becoming a homeowner, coming up with enough money to cover a down payment and closing costs. KHRC's assistance in the form of a second loan with no monthly payments can help you cover between 15% and 20% of the home's purchase price. Your income determines the amount you qualify for. In Missouri, the United States Department of Labor has levied more than $570,000 in fines against a Lone Jack Missouri cattle processor. An OSHA team of investigators found that at issue is dry ice used at the facility to keep meat at safe temperatures. The ice emits carbon dioxide that, when not properly controlled, can cause various medical issues both in short and long term. In addition to the carbon dioxide concerns, the fines also include violations that the company exposed workers to slip trip and fall hazards, failed to guard machines properly, and violated electrical workplace safety standards. The Republican-led legislature in Missouri this week rejected a measure to prevent minors from carrying firearms in public without adult supervision. Democrat Donna Beringer said police in her district asked for the change in order to stop, quote, 14-year-olds from walking down the middle of the street in the city of St. Louis carrying AR-15s. So let me get this straight. The same group who believes a 10-year-old can't possibly think critically about race or understand that sometimes people of the same sex can fall in love believes that they are mature enough to parade around with a massively dangerous tool. Heck, I suppose I'll soon be handing the keys to my car to my son. I mean, we can't be certain he means to do harm with it either, right? The first weekend numbers are in after legalized marijuana hit the state of Missouri. They top $12 million in sales. In Oklahoma... In what is becoming tragically commonplace, an LGBTQ-led protest occurred during the State of the State Address on Monday. The protest, led by the trans community and its allies, was reported to be orderly and without incident. Two bills that restrict transgender care were heard in committee this week, similar to copycat bills across the heartland, leading to the necessity for these protests. Some on social media are trying to characterize the protest as out of control, going as far as to call the protesters a group of insurrectionists. Few are buying it, though. Nicole McAfee, executive director of Freedom Oklahoma, even noted that the protesters entered the Capitol, along with other guests, in a single-file orderly line. A bit of a stark difference in how they approached the Capitol during the insurrection. 
In Iowa, the U.S. Department of Labor is taking two Iowa companies to court over allegations that they either failed to pay workers overtime or spent their workers' retirement contributions. The lawsuit claims that at least from April 2020 through April of 2022, that Seth Woods, along with Woods Construction and Development of Riverdale, also known as Woods Estate, misclassified employees as independent contractors and then repeatedly paid those employees their regular rate of pay for all hours worked, including time worked in excess of 40 hours per week. It lists 15 workers who, during the two years leading up to April 2022, earned a total of $128,430 in unpaid wages. Iowans who sue over severe cases of medical malpractice will face new limits. New legislation, House File 161, would limit non-economic damages to $2 million in medical malpractice lawsuits across hospitals and $1 million in lawsuits against clinics and individual doctors. All Democrats, save for one in the House, voted nay, and several Republicans did as well, all claiming that this would hurt Iowans. The measure unfortunately passed anyway. And lastly, this week was a special one for one of our favorite topics on the Heartland Pod, the trifurcation of the GOP. Biden dropped a saucy little take during the State of the Union address. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. And make no mistake, folks, he carries the receipts. Also, a new Yahoo News YouGov poll has shown that DeSantis may have a lead over Donald Trump currently, but that shrinks if folks like South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley joins the race. Don't worry, though. Trump is laying some extra groundwork in case that doesn't help his chances, as he flat out referred to DeSantis as a groomer this week in a post on Truth Social. Responses to that show plenty of folks are ready for things to get heated between the two. One person wrote, The more Ron is talked about, the nastier Donald will get, and I'm all here for it. Another added, I'm increasing my popcorn supply. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story that I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at Kev in Midmo or the pod's parent account at The Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from The Guardian, Indy 100, The Des Moines Register, The Iowa Capital Dispatch, Fox News, Leafly, KSHB Kansas, Yahoo Finance, The Shawnee Mission Post, Wall Street Journal, Arizona Central, Montana Public Radio, Lutherans for Racial Justice, and Christianity Today. Thanks for listening. Fire Review is a production of MidMap Media LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all next week.